0: Today on the Doc on the Run podcast, I'm really excited to have Marla on the show to talk about her experience with recovering from a complicated running injury. Hi, I'm Dr. Christopher Segler, and thanks for tuning in to the Doc on the Run podcast, where we help you understand how to keep training and running, even if you've been injured. Marla has, a, I think, a really great perspective on everything that's involved and trying to navigate the whole medical system and actually recover not just using the standard approach what's usually offered to us when we get injured but really trying to step back and look at all these different components of recovery from an injury and then try to really you know change what she was doing assess what she was doing and make changes as she went throughout the course of recovery to try to really get the best improvement as quickly as possible and you know running injuries can be really difficult for lots of reasons and one of the reasons that I think they seem to be so difficult is that the standard approach in medicine is to to first tell you to stop running. That's what most doctors want to say is that, well, you know, running is stressful, so you should stop running if you have a stress-related injury. But then, you know, if that approach alone doesn't work, usually the doctor will offer you something like an expensive or an invasive procedure like a corticosteroid injection or a surgical procedure or something else to try to get you to heal. Sometimes those approaches are necessary, but... Sometimes they're also counterproductive, and sometimes the standard medical approach or the standard of care, as we like to call it, it can send you sort of spiraling down this path of frustration and despair, and it becomes more and more difficult to actually get yourself out of that. Now, one reason I wanted to bring Marla on the show is that she really seem to sort of exemplify this sort of investigative approach and creativity that's really needed for a runner to get past an injury. So Marla, um, you know, thanks for coming on the show and maybe you could just begin by sharing a little bit about your athletic background, you know, your running history, uh, just so everybody can get an idea of what sort of running, you know, workouts, that sort of stuff, what makes you happiest?
1: Okay, well, I'm one of those people who essentially came out of the womb wanting to run. Um, I ran my first race when I was four. I had an older sister. My parents weren't necessarily big runners, but my older sister was a runner, and I just loved it immediately. So I ran my first 10K by the time I was seven um, and just had loved to run. I ran track and cross country in high school, um, but my main sport was actually soccer. So I actually don't even necessarily think of myself as a runner in the sense of I was kind of competitive in high school for track and cross country, but I really did it more because I just loved the sport. So to me, it's when people ask me what my passion is, it's that. It's that I. I liken myself to a dog in the morning. When I wake up, I'm excited to go running. So, you know, I know there's a whole population out there who thinks I am quote unquote crazy or asks me how I get the motivation. And I just, to me, I don't even, that's not even a question. It's that, you know, if I had more time in the day, I would run more. Um, and so I have picked up a habit pretty much of running about six miles every morning before work. Um, weekends I would quote unquote treat myself to, you know, eight to 10 miles. Um, I just have run pretty much a steady pace. I'm not fast. I'm not slow. I just, some days are faster than others. Some days aren't. So, um, I would just say less of, I actually didn't really do the research on, you know, what sort of proteins or diets or whatever we should have because I actually didn't have any performance goals, Um, I wasn't trying to PR on anything, I tended to not do races just because I found it more difficult to drive myself to a location than I could just run out the door in front of my house. Um, so I would say that it's my passion. It's been my therapy. It's what I've used for the good times and the bad times in my life. And it's just my favorite thing to do ever. So, um, it was pretty much injury free until this famous cortisone shot that I got. And, um, would you like me to kind of tell you about that story? Yeah. Or yeah. It'd so be
0: great. Yeah. If you can just sort of share like what initially happened and what sent off this whole chain of things that really disrupted your running so significantly.
1: So basically, um, after I'm 37 right now, healthy otherwise, you know, um, at least I think I'm healthy. My doctor says I'm healthy. Um, Is that I started having kind of a little pain in my foot, kind of in the back heel area. I'm not really sure what it is. It didn't, wasn't, I had done my Google research and it didn't look like what was plantar fasciitis. Um, But then again, some people define that differently. I don't know. So, but I didn't have that first step pain or any of that. It just kind of hurt at the back of my heel. And it was probably on a scale of one to 10 on a pain level around three. It was just annoying. Um, So it didn't really stop my running, but it was just not, it just was annoying me, so I finally, after about three months of this persistent pain, um, I go to my podiatrist. And at this point, I don't really have a team of professionals that can help me even know who to go to to properly assess the damage or the injury or what was nagging me. So, of course, the first thing I do is I go to to this person, and I go in and, based on what I understand of the medical system of how it tends to work for most people is that you go in and they have about 15 minutes to see you so in this 15 minutes that I'm in I express this pain and I'm told immediately that I have plantar fasciitis and it can be quickly solved with a cortisone shot so for me I'm like great I can run pain-free fantastic this is the best thing I've ever heard you know just quick little cortisone shot I'll be on my way maybe I'll even run back to the office so I get to get that she takes out the needle and everything and I think I'm fine and the second the needle is administered, I scream at the top of my lungs. I've never felt a pain like this in my entire life. And I immediately go to 11 and it was a shriek of pain. And apparently, I still don't know exactly what happened, but my take is that she somehow punctured the nerve sheath or something. Because it, was, it wasn't it was like any pain I've ever felt and I've never had nerve pain. And now I know what nerve pain is. And it was just this, an electrocution that felt like I had a bolt of lightning that went out of my top of my skull. And I tried to put my foot down and couldn't. And this is where I'm already still a little bit numbed up. And it was just so excruciating that I literally had to walk out of the office in crutches. And she kept telling me, oh, sometimes cortisone shots take a little while for them to settle in and work. And I, was, I knew immediately that was not the case. Um, and so there you go. Long story made short, I basically am now on crutches for three months. Um, I can't do anything. You, If you just barely, if you took a feather over the point of where the pain was, I felt like somebody knocked the wind out of me and another electric bolt went through my head. Um, I had to end up going to a pain doctor who wanted, who did give me actually a pain um, nerve block that was temporary to kind of help reset my nervous system, because apparently I had been hijacked by my nervous system. Um, And then he wanted to give me a series of opioids as well, which I just refused to do, just knowing and having done my own research and knowing my own tolerance for anything. Um, I just refused that. And so at this point in time, I was like, okay, I need to advocate for myself. I need to find a different answer. Um, and so this is when I found you, Chris. Um, and then also I started to do a lot of research on, uh, nerve pain and the psychology of pain and just the psychology of recovery and how to feel empowered and how to get over, an obstacle because as someone who i've said you know has loves to run because i was so intertwined with running it was literally i started to have an identity crisis i was known as marla the runner i that's what i did that's how my day started it was i lost all sorts of and luckily my job doesn't have to do with running so luckily i had that part of my um of my identity So I can only imagine if you're a professional athlete, what you must go through if that's literally how you get paid. But, you know, for me, even recreationally, that was who I was to my friends, to my family, to myself. Um, And so this is where the struggle began. So here we are.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So you bring up several good points. And the first thing that you mentioned was that, you know, you had done some research and although you had heel pain, which is very, very common among everybody, not just runners, you know, heel pain accounts for about 40% of all visits to podiatrists in the United States. And of that, the overwhelming majority for sure is plantar fasciitis. And so in most doctor's offices, they do what I did when I had a standard office, you know, we'd go through the schedule in the morning and, you know, said, okay, this, you know, Marla is coming in today at 10, she has heel pain, Basically, we would assume it's heel pa- it, that heel pain is caused by plantar fasciitis until we've actually looked at you and proved it's something else. So it's sort of the default diagnosis whenever you have heel pain. And yet, you had done some research, but you said like your symptoms didn't necessarily fit perfectly with plantar fasciitis. Like, it seemed off to you that like you, know, you didn't have the sort of classic pain where you get up and wake up, step out of bed, and have that sudden jolt of pain that then goes away. So your symptoms really weren't classic plantar fasciitis. So you already were kind of suspicious of that diagnosis, it sounds like, before you even went there. Um, but then based on your story, certainly it doesn't seem like it was just plantar fasciitis. And and this one injection that you had, you know, had sort of set off your nerve, and that can happen. I mean, it does happen. That's one of the risks of having an injection is that you could get you know actual nerve damage, uh, or you could get sort of sprung into this whole chronic pain chain of events where your nerve, like you said, kind of hijacks your system. The nerve basically starts making noise. It interprets that as pain and you get stuck in this cycle of pain because it just gets locked up. And then you have to do something also invasive, go to a chronic pain doctor who then does something else invasive, like a a nerve block to try to shut the nerve off and let it quiet and sort of reset, like you said. Um, But No, that's the first thing is that you know you really didn't feel like your symptoms were really consistent with plantar fasciitis. And lots of times when I do second opinions for runners, you know whether it's in person or on Skype or on the phone or whatever, it's incredible to me how many times they will say, "I don't think I have this. I think I have something else." And they may not know what the something else is, but they're already pretty sure. And then when I listen to their story, it doesn't sound like they have the condition they've been diagnosed with. And so. You know, you have to really serve as your own advocate to really say, okay, look, I know you think I have plantar fasciitis, but, you know, everybody doesn't have plantar fasciitis and um, it could be something else, right? And you sometimes have to get the doctor to slow down and listen to you. And that's very difficult to do because our system is really kind of counter to that, you know? Um, But then you find yourself sort of stuck in this whole process, right, where you've got You know, you've already been to the podiatrist and then you have to go see a chronic pain doctor and then you start running into lots of different doctors and different, the whole medical process just kind of consumes you. So, you know, what happened? How did you find yourself really bogged down by that process after you had this injection and started, you know, hobbling around on crutches? How did that unfold?
1: Well, one thing I'm going to say, and by the way, audience out there, Chris is not paying me for this. And by the way, can I call you Chris or should I be oh, calling yeah, you Oh, yeah, yeah, Chris Stiegler? is fine. I okay. don't care.
0: I'm over that whole doctor thing. <laughs>
1: Um, but I honestly, after I saw you, I read your book that is on Amazon about heel pain and I wish I had started there because I think I would have not been where I am now. Cause that was a great book to help. At least I think if I had done some of the stretches that you recommended in it, some of, you know, just legs up the wall here and there, I think I just had a little bit of an overuse injury because I wasn't changing my pace or my gait. I just was kind of putzing along at the same rate all the time and not doing any sort of differential movements. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that could have served me really, really well um, to start there or even having started with somebody like a great sports masseuse or um, even, you know, I know rehab tends to be post Injury, But, you know, if I had been able to get a personal trainer or somehow found, navigated my way into some sort of PT system that could have helped me just assess some overuse stuff, that that would have stopped there. But this is a shameless plug for your book because I love that book and I think it's the best way to start if i had if i could have done this all over again
0: well thanks yeah. i mean part of that though is like you said if you you know if, if you read a book like that and it doesn't even have to be that one if you read anything if you read blog articles or whatever that talk about how to treat plantar fasciitis and you do those things and you don't improve at all and you're actually doing the treatments that should work for plantar fasciitis then right away you can assume okay well you know maybe i have something different of course if you do respond well then you're going to get better so You know, there's so much value in just trying these other treatments before you really seek like the standard approach by going to see a doctor, I think.
1: But going back to your question, you know, so what ended up happening to me is I started actually feeling a lot of loss of sense of control of my life because I was now being dragged across the city to get massages and to get to then do a PT. And then I was at a podiatrist and then I was trying to see the chiropractor and I was going to seeing an acupuncturist and then a pain doctor. And I literally felt like it started to consume me. And actually what ended up happening is that of course the way our medical system is set up is that nobody was talking to each other. And right. I and then, what ended up happening to me is that I thought I was better by one person's diagnosis or the other person's diagnosis. And then I was now finally getting out of the um, out of the crutches. And I think one of the big things where, again, we have to be advocates for ourselves, unfortunately, and we have to get out there, is that nobody helped transition me from injury to getting back into the sport. And because I had never been injured before, I decided that finally it was time to go for a run. And because my version of a run is six miles, not one mile, I jumped into a run that was about three or four miles and ended up giving myself a pretty horrible stress fracture, and Chris, that's when you came in. Um, but so this is one of my lessons learned: is that it, like to start is that you really, really need to advocate for yourself and start to becoming build a team. And not only that, but really try to reset goals and figure out how to go from injury that is so bad that you're on crutches that base that makes you completely fatigue and everything just atrophies to getting back to what is your normal, which may, is a six mile run. That might not be somebody else's normal. And I think that for our, us people who love to be extremely athletic and where our normal is much higher than what might be in the average doctor visit, um, is that it, that's when you really need to start finding a team and really trying to figure out your own path to getting to what your goal is.
0: It's true. You got to have a team. Uh, and And there is no component of our medical system that is set up to provide people with that transition that you're talking about. So when, you know, doctors, I mean, the the fact is in the United States, doctors get paid for procedures. They don't get paid for prevention. They don't get paid for keeping you healthy or making you happy. They get paid for treating illness or or disease with procedures. And uh, the more things they do, the more they get paid. It's true for for all doctors and uh, physical therapists, you know, the more things they do, the more money they make. So it's really not helpful when you're an athlete and you get injured, uh, because that whole transition is not something that's even evaluated. When we talk about whether or not somebody's healed, we talk about what it looks on the x-ray, we talk about what it looks like on physical exam, and then we talk about sort of activities of daily living. Like, Can you walk? Can you go to work? Can you go to the grocery store? Can you make food? Can you go to the bathroom? You know, can you move around your house? And if you can do all those things, then you're sort of defined as cured. But if you're a runner and you haven't run in three or six or nine months because you've had an ongoing chain of events and injuries that have incapacitated you and caused all that atrophy that you talk about, if you just go run six miles, you're going to break something, you know? Mm -hmm. And there's no, there's no part, there's no code for like, how do you help a, uh, an athlete transition from this state of, you know, profound um, inactivity to full activity, you know, which for you, like, like you said, it's like your therapy. It's everything that is part of what makes you happy. It's what defines you is, is being a runner and going to run six miles before work. And then that's just not a component of the process, at least not in our system that we have. So it's very, very difficult. And you do have to find a team of people that will help you with that. That's for sure. So um, when, you, when you were going through all that and you did sort of finally assemble a team, uh, I would assume that they told you to start doing lots of different things like, you know, get the perfect amount of sleep, eat the perfect diet, you know, uh, stay off your foot, do this, do all these different things. But isn't it possible that that all trying to take in and follow all that advice can in itself be stressful?
1: Yeah. So uh, when I say team, I also mean that loosely in the sense of just people who support you. Um, So what I don't mean is it's nice to have, you know, this and that profession help you along the way. But um, for me, my sister was really, really beneficial in helping me get to running because she was just supportive um. So I would say some of the goals that I have for me is when I say team, I don't mean all of a sudden get an army I kind of think of it as your NASCAR team. Get a few people that are aligned that you know want to work on the car but make sure that you don't end up with a million professionals that aren't connecting because now you're going to be stressing yourself out again, spending time and money going from this appointment to that appointment. And for me, when I was doing that, the downside of that was that now we're talking about the injury owning me. So no longer was I Marla X runner. Now is Marla X runner who is now crazed and a victim of her injury and running around the city and has no time for friends or family because she's off at this or that and the other between work or lunch breaks after work blah 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 so one of the things that helped to me was really just to take a step back and realize I can't let this thing run my life literally all my spare time was spent taking care of this thing so I kind of you know, picked picked a few. Uh, one of which was you. I enjoyed having you as part of my team. Um, and then I found a physical therapist, which again, I actually went ahead and did a ton of Yelp research and found one that was aligned with my goals. Which was because I started at first finding a physical therapist that was for people recovering stroke from strokes, which worked in the beginning stages, but then I really quickly. Um, with my athletic background was able to move out of that. So then I found a place that was specific for endurance athletes and for athletes that also um, upon your suggestion, you had suggested an Alter-G and that was the only institute that I could find in San Francisco that my insurance covered where I could get into the Alter-G, which for those of you out there, it's an anti-gravity treadmill where you basically get to run in a bubble. You're like a bubble boy from the waist down. Um, but really cool. And at least I could pretend and, uh, and visualize running. So even if I was running at very, very little body weight, I was able to at least, you know, have my body move and remember what, how much I loved, which kept me really positive and felt that, you know, helped me see the light at the end of the tunnel that I would then again, get to run again. And I kind of felt a little bit, um, that I could, you know, be a runner without pounding on the pavement. So that was nice. Um, but yeah, so going back to your question, sorry, as a tangent. Um, but so I would say, you know, pick quality versus quantity. So find out some people that are really, you know, aligned with you and really that along with your goals. So don't align yourself with anyone who tells you to stop running. For me, that was, and I took that from you, Chris, too, is like, I was done hearing that just stop running. So instead, I found a couple people there. Um, and then I also just learned in my studies of injury and just about the human body and about healing is that stress is really detrimental to recovery. And so not only was I stressed about going from this office to that office and going to, you know, all my spare time being gone, but now I was stressed about making sure that when I went to the grocery store that I was only eating tart cherries and I and I was freaking out about was I only eating anti-inflammatory and I love my glass of wine, but then I wasn't having my glass of wine because is that inflammatory? And then and then I was stressed out about not being able to not have my glass of wine, which like is all sorts of just added stress of that I, I, I like as soon as I just kind of let go and just was like it's okay, you know, I generally have a very healthy diet. I generally am not, you know, throwing back handles of vodka. So, you know, I think that there's something, you know, it's there's something to be said about balance and moderation. It's that all, whenever there's something wrong in the world, I always feel like, you know, there's a reason why we have this saying that everything is good in moderation. Um, and so, I would highly recommend that you kind of get back your life. You need those friends and family and those laugh, those times of laughter. Versus just being in sitting in a doctor's office. So we forget how much healing it is to let ourselves not stress about something. How healing it is to just forget about the injury and to be around our friends and families and loved ones, and and you know being at the museum and seeing art that we like. It's just, all of that goes into the healing process. Is that it's not that simple. There's not a cure all. There's not just a pill that you can pop um, or a diet you can eat to all of a sudden go from injured to not
0: injured. That's a great point. So, you know, it kind of goes along with what you are saying earlier about your team, not just being a team of doctors, of therapists, of whatever. You know, it's really kind of, it's really about what makes you happiest, right? So the things that make yeah. you happy are going to help you heal. And having friends, you know, relatives, whatever, people on your team, as you say, who are your cheerleaders, who are positive, is extremely important. So, yeah. you know, the worst thing would be if you, you know, five of the people on your team, if you had... A doctor, and then four people from a con- chronic pain group who have had chronic pain for twenty years and have never gotten any better. You probably don't want them on your team. You know, yeah. you need people that will help you remember. No, you're going to run again. You know, you know, you're supposed to be happy. Uh, and and it's true. It's just those patterns of um, of pain recognition that lead to chronic pain they become wired in the brain they become hardwired after long periods of repetition and it's true with your attitudes about healing I think you know that you if you focus on healing and you focus on being happy and you focus on even you know keeping track keeping a journal or something about you know what is positive like you know what do you have to be grateful for what improvement did you make today and you focus on those things you will get more of those things and those patterns become wired as well so You know, along those lines, like what did you do to keep track of your activities, your improvements, any of that kind of stuff?
1: So, I did um, do a journal. And when I say a journal, one of the things that I'm big on is you don't need to go and buy a fancy leather bound journal and make sure that you write in that specific journal all the time. I think one of, um, I'm a big believer in trying to remove barriers of entry or obstacles. And I find that there were, when I first tried that approach, I would, you know, all of a sudden I didn't, I rushed out of the house too fast to write in my leather bound journal and now I'm on the train and now I, now I can't write in my journal or I have to do that when I get home. And so I just ended up taking it pretty loosely of just back of the envelope, napkin, computer, phone, whatever, is um, kind of just assessing and I didn't hold myself in religiously of every day. It's okay if I skip a day or two, but generally tried to for the week of like, what are my goals? And then, um, and then what was I able to do yesterday or today? Um, and so you forget how easily, like, there was a time where I couldn't get to the grocery store or when, when I was on crutches where making a cup of tea was difficult. And so it was. It's nice to see that there, while I think one of the key things I remind myself is that no injury is, you don't get out of, you don't recover in a linear way, that there will be flare ups and there will be ups and downs. But the having a journal and just knowing and having little bits of pieces of paper that I could just at least put together in a folder of some sort was just a reminder of how far I had come. Um, and so I will, that was really helpful. And then even if you lose those pieces of paper, it's still something that if you do a lot of research on psychology and what helps people make hap- be happy in general, it's actually the process of writing and not so much of even going back and looking and rereading it. It's that somehow when we go from the brain to writing, it makes it just feel more real for whatever reason. Um, and so I, I'm just a big proponent of trying to just somehow get that from the brain down. Um, And so that was one of the things that I did for journaling. And I think it's um, important to not only capture what your goals are and how you met your goals, but also just the small things that you did on a daily basis, like going to the grocery store, like going to dinners with friends, and um, reminding yourself that those are actually movement forward even though um, it might not seem
0: like it. No, that's that's a great point. So I recently did a podcast on keeping a pain journal. And, you know, and a lot of people hear that and they think they're going to be focusing on their pain. But the fact is you're trying to focus on improvement, you know. And yeah. even having a column, like you said, like, well, what could I do to, you know, what did I do yesterday that I couldn't do the day before? Like th- that stuff matters. And, you know, and the reason that matters is that most runners, all they see is that I can't run six miles today. You know, I can't, you know, I don't have the endurance to run a marathon anymore. They focus on those things, which again, like just does more of that negative rewiring in your brain that's not helpful. So just having a column where you have something positive to put down that you can recognize those improvements and see those improvements to build on them and keep moving forward, I think is really important. So, you know, along those lines, though, I mean, that's the same kind of thing we were talking about earlier, where, you know, your idea of what's sedentary is not the same as everybody else's. And you know, and everybody does this. I actually went through this myself one time where I'd had a reconstructive knee surgery and I had a complication. I was in the hospital for a couple of weeks. And um, still, you know, we have, as athletes, we have this idea of who we are. We have this identity around it and our capabilities. And a lot of times those capabilities are not even tied to our physical fitness state at that point. And I actually was getting out of the hospital I called my friend Frank. I said, hey, man, why don't you come pick me up and bring my clothes. Let's go to the gym because I'd been in a hospital bed for a couple of weeks, you know. So obviously, I, like I was smart enough to at least know, okay, well, I know I've lost a lot of fitness. And I was thinking I was being sensible. And so when I went to the gym, the first set of exercise I was going to do was the lat pull machine, right? And thing was I had, a, I had an immobilizer on my left leg. And so I used to do the entire stack of weights at this one gym on this one machine. And so I knew I'd usually do the whole stack, so I was going to be sensible. I thought, well, I'll just do half the stack. What I did not think about was that, first of all, I was so weak, I shouldn't have been doing even close to that, but that I could only hook my right leg underneath the pad and not my left leg because I had a immobilizer on it. And the very first rep, not kidding, the very first rep when I sat down at that machine in the gym that day... I pulled down and I ripped an abdominal muscle. And Frank had to take me back to the emergency room. And the ER doctor was like looking at the computer and he said, Is this right? Is, did you really just get discharged a couple of hours ago? <laughs> and of course, I felt like a complete idiot. But that's the thing is that I had sort of this vision of who I was and it's completely inaccurate at that point. So, you know, when you sort of get cleared or you're approved to start exercise, like, what, what did you think of, like, what did you, what went through your mind? How did you move sort of from that sedentary state where you've been on crutches and everything else to kind of get back into activity without trouble? This is the Doc on the Run podcast. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
1: What's a virtual doctor visit?
0: The idea of not running at all while waiting for my foot to heal was simply depressing.
1: I really needed a second opinion from an expert, someone who specializes in helping runners.
0: But frankly, I just couldn't afford the cost of a house call. I saved enough money to pay for my next
1: marathon registration.
0: You will have an appointment with Dr. Segler, whether it's via Skype or on the phone. You can expect, one, he's going to be on time. Two, he's going to be able to spend more time with you than the typical uh, visit in a doctor's office. And both of those are going to result in more effective diagnosis and treatment plan for you. sedentary state where you've been on crutches and everything else to kind of get back into activity without trouble?
1: Well, I think um, there are a couple of things that come to mind right away is I'm probably the, I feel like I'm the only person in the world who buys Fitbit and a heart rate monitor to make sure I don't do too much too soon <laughs> um, because that was my problem. But what got, gave me that fracture was that um, when, as soon as I got out of those crutches. I was like, okay, I'm ready to run. And, I was, you know, kind of similar to your story. Okay, maybe I'm not going to run six miles, but I'll run between three and four because, you know, that's nothing for me. Um, and so as I was recovering from this stress injury, the stress fracture injury, um, and really, really now at this point in time, I haven't run for about a year and four months or so because um, of getting out of that and getting back, Injury, so yeah, so about just over a year, um, I going yeah, basically over just over a year um, is that I was determined not to get to another stress fracture, and so I think that some of those tools that we use to enhance our performance, you know, can also in the same have the same goal, but that enhancing is paradoxically, you know, holding back and not doing too much, and I'm sure some people do that when they are doing use those. In the same capacity for like people who know that they need to continue to pace themselves or whatever. But um, all of this is going blah, 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 blah. So you're gonna have to cut all that out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Basically, uh, let's start over really fast. Um, I would recommend, you know, using the tools that you think of of just going faster, stronger to also um, that faster, stronger is also useful for when you're just transitioning back. And so, you know, if you're going to use your Fitbit that maybe you don't, if your goal is 10,000 when you're not an injured person, but now you're injured is maybe you make sure you have 2,500 this week, 5,000 the next week or whatever. So it really helps you pace Um, so I think those are really helpful. And then I'm a big proponent of trying to move before, um, you get complete atrophy. So one of the things is I definitely don't recommend going and getting a half stack of, you know, weights here, but, um, But I think that getting creative about movement is really important. So for me, you know, with the stress fracture, it doesn't mean that you can't use your arms or your abs or whatnot. And so part of that, um, I think, is important of helping you get to a better recovery is, you know, I for one of the things I did was because I was tired of the crutches is I ended up going to a yoga class and just doing it the whole thing on my knees. I don't know if you've ever done an hour and a half yoga class on just your knees over all those warrior standing poses. It's hard. It's a whole different sort of balance muscles that you need. It, It uses and engages the core and different parts of your legs in ways you never thought were possible but that also allowed me to be part of the community um, which was also part of my identification is that you know going to the gym and being the person that shows up in crutches is like go don't go on the treadmill with your broken foot but you know i think that part of recovery is not being ashamed not being afraid to look weird and kind of going with what does and doesn't hurt but, you know, kind of playing around and taking a lot more of a playful approach as opposed to any sort of athletic um, definition of it. So that's really what I tried to do is uh, in the effort of trying to be positive and making fun is I would get to the gym and kind of look around and be like, what can I do today? Um, and it might not be perfect form, but, you know, as long as it's not too heavy or too much or too soon or one of those terrible twos is um, kind of like, what can I what can I do? What can I do and what can I maybe make goals of doing better or whatnot?
0: Because that is part of it. It's two things. It's not just community. It's also not being embarrassed to be a part of the community that you've always been a part of. You know, and it's difficult. I mean, you have to basically be able to do that if you want to really recover as quickly as possible. You know, and and it's not we always think it's like the injured part, but it's you're not an automobile. You know, you don't just replace the alternator and then take off down the highway. It doesn't work like that. Um, so you have to take everything else in the system and fortify it and build it up so that it can better support your injured foot when you actually do go back to running. The weaker the rest of your body is, the more forces is going to get transferred to that injured part, and that is going to put you in trouble.
1: I think just to say quickly, I think that's really important of part of your team is that I think that I had people in my life personally or professionally who said that there was only this or that that was the right way to do it and one of the reasons why again that you really helped me um, see beyond it is that when you came to see me you're like hey what about water running what about ultra G like you can still be an athlete or still play or still be athletic and not uh, with an injury and um, and I think that that's really important of that you don't have somebody who tells you oh you're crazy for going to the gym with crutches is like, instead be like have friends that say that's awesome can I drive you there can I get you there and now when I see someone at the gym who has crutches or a walking cast and they take it off and they play around you know I think half the people are giving them weird looks and the other you know I'm there to high five them and I don't want to ask them about their story I don't need to know what happened I just am like oh you know awesome to see you here because I want to help provide them in the community and make them know that they're not being weird and that that's actually awesome. And that, and, you know, with time will tell that I think this is the research is coming out right now is that the worst thing you can do is let things atrophy and, you know, putting a little bit of load and, and challenging certain parts of your body is actually the fastest way to recovery. So as much as we can also give back to others that have that kind of injury or look that way, um, I think is, is part of, part of the larger
0: community. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's great. It really is important to encourage others, right? Like that's yeah. so important. And of course you get it back, right? It, it, it comes around too. Um, so then what about, one of the things I know that can really help is not just sort of doing stuff, but also picturing things happening. And athletes do this all the time, you know, when we plan for goals, we use lots of visualization in order to, you know, sort of in advance, see ourselves achieving a specific goal. And that helps us stay motivated and work toward achieving those goals. And what about you? So what, what about visualization and how did it help you heal through your process?
1: Yeah, I think there's a famous, um, YouTube video with Michael Phelps about how he basically has already swam the race five times over before he actually jumped into the pool something along the lines Mm -hmm. of that. Um, but yeah, I have to say, you know, that was one of the things that I would do was, um, one, one thing I did to help recover and to make things this easier is I bought myself a little spin bike that doesn't need to be plugged in, that has wheels that you can roll into a closet and everything, um, and this required me not doing the hassle of getting to a gym and let me be as weird looking as possible as I tried to get some sort of sweat or workout without loading my foot. Um, But one of the things I would do would be on this bike and would just slowly spin on it, but close my eyes and imagine that I was out running along the beach, which is where I live and love to run. Um, So I would use that time while doing some sort of other activity, but just kind of pretend I wasn't doing one activity and replace it with running. Um, And then for me, a lot of um, beyond just visualizing myself back to my sport, was also having a conversation about the pain that I was going through. So I think um, there are some YouTube videos that I can also send you, uh, or TED talks about the psychology of pain. But one thing is that, you know, we are, we do have this survival instinct that, okay, if bitten by a snake, then run away from snakes because that's going to hurt or kill us. But as we all know, there are different types of snake, right? So just because we see a garter snake, it's not the same thing as, I I don't know, a rattlesnake. And Mm -hmm. so, um, and but yet we still evolutionary without having ever encountered a garter snake, still think that that's the rattlesnake if we've only encountered a garter snake. I mean, a rattlesnake, excuse me. Um, And so what I'm really trying to say here is that, yes, touching my foot was pain, but I had, this had now become wired into my head, even though the nerve pain was kind of gone, but I, I literally would flinch if anything touched it. And so part of my visualization journey too was to pretty much tell that Foot, nerve pain to go to hell and that you're not real. Um, and I'm not kidding. I would walk down the street as I and I would have a random kind of just all of a sudden a little shot of electricity. And instead of flinching or stopping walking, I just would say, You're not real. You're not. You're real. You're not real. Now, of course, this is very different when people compound fracture. So I'm not recommending this yeah. if you have, you know, if you've literally snapped your bone in half. Um, but I do think that there are also, you know, I, if there's one theme I would say is do research or read or like knowledge is power. But one thing I have read about, um, pain psychology is that, you know, the, your nervous system is a totally fascinating beast of its own and that pain isn't necessarily synonymous with injury. Um, It can be, again, I'm not recommending this advice for somebody with a compound fracture, but it's not always our best guide. Um, And so sometimes it's okay to kind of poke around and, and on the peripheries of it and, you know, try to really think inwardly, is this really, painful or is this a story that my nervous system and my body is telling me or something i've been wired to expect um, and so that's been that so in addition to just visualizing your end goal and you doing that i also really think it's important to really kind of look inwardly and try to understand what what's going on with your
0: body you know i remember when, when i was in medical school one of the lectures on neurology i remember the guy who was a you know a ucsf professor saying Pain is in the brain, and it, it is, you know, it, that's, where, that's where it's born, that's where it lives. Uh, you feel it in your foot, you know, you feel it in your injury, but it's all about perception. And so, yeah. m- m- you know, the, it is interesting, the whole psychology of pain, it is a fascinating thing. Um, and you can, if you can understand it a little bit more, you can use it better to help you heal and continue to get better. And focusing on the pain and, you know, can help the pain build, too. So many people that get chronic pain, you know, they wind up with chronic pain because they're so focused on the pain and the focus makes it stronger.
1: I mean, it's, they have examples of, you know, people that have perfectly normal MRIs on their back that are an excruciating back pain. And then there are people who have an entirely dysfunctional looking back and are in no pain. It's a lot of it is kind of it. The story of who we are and how we are in our body, um, and I'm, one of my things, like where you have the you know pain is in the brain. Mine is it's not real, but it's real mm-hmm. because it is real. And I think that's one of the things that does happen is for somebody who doesn't associate something as hurting. They, sometimes we don't feel heard when we're experiencing pain when it necessarily when it shouldn't necessarily be there. So that's also not good—is to not feel like you're being heard. So you know, it's it's a fine balance of of wanting to be heard but then also knowing that you can overcome that pain and that we are pretty powerful creatures and that we can help coach ourselves through some of that pain.
0: And one of the things you talked about earlier is about everybody being on your on your team. And this is an interesting thing because some of the people who m- many times inadvertently limit us the most are the people that actually care about us the most. And Now this is true when you get injured. It's very, very true of um, in the business world. Like I've read a number of business books that have talked about this specifically, where they'll say, you know, if you decide to basically quit your job and start your own business, you need to be prepared that, like, you know, your spouse, your parents, your siblings, the people who seem to like have, you know, the most care for you, will. Will try to convince you to not do that. They'll say you can't do this. This is crazy because they want you to be safe. They want you to be secure. They want you to be taken care of. So when you tell them I have pain, and I want to run, a lot of times they will tell you you're crazy. You can't run. You know what are you doing? And that that's not really helpful. Uh, I don't think. Um, so you know, a lot of times it's interesting because if they're sort of acquaintances or whatever, they don't seem to offer this sort of unsolicited advice, right? They don't start telling you what you have to do and how you should do it and why you shouldn't do it and why you shouldn't run, why you should give up running. But our loved ones do many times, you know, and because they obviously, they want the best for you, but they also, the truth is, is they don't know what they're talking about half the time. You know, they don't really understand the injury. They certainly, there's no way that anyone who cares about you once you've had like a year of trying to work through an injury, understands as much about the injury as you do. So Mm -hmm. they're not really in a position to make that decision for you, but they do, even when you're not asking, they sort of offer this advice. So how do you deal with that? Because it's a very difficult thing.
1: Luckily, (laughs) I've been fortunate enough to have like people that are, that do know a little bit about the body and have encouraged me to do that. So my sister's kind of in the space as well. So she's encouraged me and she's done a lot of helping educate me in all of these things and sending me articles about the importance of load and importance of not getting atrophy. And you were part of that. And that was part of the team I've done, um, that I've built that were professionals or, but, um, it's tough. And I've gotten to the point where I've told people who are close and friends, like, I'm not asking for your advice. And it's, it's a tough conversation to have, um, but it is one of those things. It's like, I, I just tell them like, hey, if I get injured, it's my fault, it's my body, I get it. But you know, this is, it's kind of it's such a cliche thing to say these days, but I feel like it's like, I, like you do you, I do me. <laughs> and it's like, you know, I don't, I I don't try to, it, it I, I actually just don't really have an answer. It's just been, it's been tough. And I'll, I'll be honest, because I've been dealing with this for a long time, it really has helped me assess who are and aren't my friends. Um, it's changed really the nature of my friends and who they are. Because on the other hand, I also didn't want to just I, I didn't want to have this injury and just sit and do a couch potato and eat and drink the entire time. I wanted to be active. I wanted to challenge that. And so um, I have randomly, in a paradoxical way, I've found in my injury, I've found more people who are athletic and um, and really into sports and really into nutrition and into just the way the body works, mind, body, spirit. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm, again, super positive and silver lining person, but I have to be almost thankful for this experience because it did really challenge a lot of my relationships and helped them evolve and helped me also drop off some that weren't necessarily healthy. And I think that, you know, as we are aging bodies, We are going to continue to have injuries and or not necessarily upon impact or any certain thing, but our bodies are going to be able to do less um, with time. And I think that it's really important to find people who just have your overall goal of living a long, healthy life in mind. And um, and so that's one of the good things that's come out of this injury is that I've really been able to you know, get to the core of some of my friends' value systems and align myself among people who care about that, those things.
0: And it is important though. You have to really, like you say, you got to realign yourself, make sure your values and your goals are in alignment with the people that are working with you.
1: And I always say, I tell people, but if you ever get told this, I think anyone who ever uses the word crazy, I think that's an abusive word. So I <laughs> will not tolerate that word. I do. I mean, it just just shuts down the conversation. I mean, I have a saying in life that there's only one problem in the world and it's communication. And so if you do find one of these challenges with somebody that you love, you can say, Hey, this is where I'm coming from. This is the research I've done. And you can say, you know, I understand where you're coming from and let's have a conversation about this. But, um, I think that to say, tell someone that they're crazy just isn't it's not, it doesn't get you anywhere. It just shuts the conversation down. So I, I have a very, it's like a trigger point for me. I do not tolerate that.
0: <laughs> it's, it's different for everybody. So we have to pick our own way. Um, yeah. And when you actually started getting back into all your workouts, like you said, you went to yoga and you were using very different form uh, than you would when you were standing to do warrior pose uh and all of that is very different and some of it may seem awkward but how did how did you think about that in terms because so much of us as runners we think about the way we run we think about our form or you know where our posture is where our elbows are uh what, what sort of foot strike we have but when you're getting back to running or back to any activity at all what's your advice on form
1: so this is where again i think Just doing some research and empowering yourself um, is useful. So I just kind of started getting into this. One of my reactions was, do I need a gait analysis? Do I need to do this? And so I did start, you know, getting all freaked out about form, just like the anti-inflammatories and all that stuff. Um, And then I was encouraged, I did, I read um, a piece of work, Greg Lehman, Um, I love a lot of his work and it's, um, he does a lot of psychology of pain and injury and pretty specifically on runners and in certain places, but um, I went to one of his workshops and he showed videos of a Olympic athlete that has scoliosis that, you know, she's an Olympian, no one's going to argue that just because she doesn't have a perfect spine that she's a bad swimmer. Um, And then he showed us some videos of some of the runners of marathons and sprints that, you know, kind of have a little bit of a sloppy gait. But, you know, again, you're not going to send in a gait analysis person to that for them to all of a sudden have perfect form if they're winning gold when they're already the best in their sport. So that things like that started becoming really liberating. Um, So I started looking around and really, you know, watching it. I I kind of almost had this um, because I do live on the beach and so I can see a lot of runners at my Door and out my window. And I remember when I was injured at the very beginning, when I felt a little bit victimized victimized by this whole thing, was that um, that person has awful gait. How does that person get to run and I don't? And and so then I kind of let it go and realized, oh my gosh, but the thing is, that person's running and I'm not. Um, And so I think that when you can get creative, as long as it's not hurting or that you're, you know, at least being able to change upload or change the just the way you're moving and so that you get a little bit more of a cross training aspect of it i i kind of just let go of form um and it's was i think that we have in society we have a lot of this expectation that it's all or nothing or perfect or nothing and letting go and realizing that I might not look graceful or it might be clumsy or I might look like a Clydesdale in my first venture out to running actually made a lot more accessible and I think really started being a really important part of my recovery is that um, to just not really care what anyone thinks or what it looks like or what it should look like and so one of the things I would do is also um Opened up my mind of what is exercise, so you know I randomly got into Zumba, which is funny, but uh, and dancing in general because I found that I was able to kind of like run in place for a little and then stop and you know, run in place. But when I say run, just kind of you know use the mechanics of my foot um, in different ways. And then um, like even going to the museum, I would you know at least you're walking around, and then it doesn't feel like you're necessarily exercising, but you, but we are. And so I I just wanted to get movement into my, into my life. Um, so I would say aside from just being creative in gait and form is like, also just be creative on helping you scale up is, you know, getting moving on your feet, getting moving around. Um, but yeah, I think that if, if you're doing what you love and you're not in pain, then that's probably a pretty good form.
0: No, that's a good point. So, I mean, you really do have to shift your focus in all of this and, you know, away from the pain towards success, away from sedentary stuff to, you know, I got to do this today. And if you do, it really builds on itself, right? Yeah. So, okay. So so just to kind of like, I guess it's sort of final advice. Um, you know, the thing is, like I said, I mean, I... I, you know, I'm I'm a surgically trained podiatrist. So I did a three-year reconstructive foot and ankle surgery residency. And one of the things is that I was just really remember is when I was chief resident, we had these conferences we did every Tuesday night with the surgical department. And, and occasionally, I would get a case where basically if somebody had a really bad-looking MRI or CT scan or, you know, whatever – and I would put up the images, and I would just skip the whole introduction part about this is the patient, this is what happens, this is what they're complaining about, this is what they can't do, and I would just show the images. And I would just say, any thoughts? And these are all, of course, surgical residents, and they would immediately start saying, oh, well, they have this condition, you need to do this surgical procedure. And in, in every case that I did that, they would just, I would get, you know, 10 different suggestions on surgical procedures to fix the problem that they saw on the images. And then I would say... Okay, well, it just so happens that this patient has no pain whatsoever. This pain had, you know, this patient is actually recovered from this other injury, and this is what it looks like now. But the patient has no complaints. Do you still need to do that surgery? And that's because we're trained to think that way. We're trained to identify problems that we can fix, and we want to fix them as quickly as possible. If we think we can fix it with a corticosteroid injection, then we want to do that. We want to, you know, we want to do that right away. If we think we can fix it with orthotics or with a surgery or, you know, an implant or something like that, we want to do it because we do want you to get better. So along those lines, though, what is your advice when you get those suggestions from a doctor?
1: Um, Is educate, educate, educate. (laughs) Educate yourself. Um, Knowledge is power. And so it's don't take, I guess, um, let's back up here. Um, My advice would be, that it's always best to get a second opinion, but I also think, um, I think it's important to get opinions of different professionals. So I think when we think of getting a second opinion, that means going from one podiatrist and maybe getting a second opinion of a different podiatrist. Um, while that may do well and serve some purpose, I think it's also, um, worth your while to maybe go to a massage therapist or a chiropractor or, um, or, or a PT or a personal trainer or something, and just try to read as much as you can about it too. Um, I know that that can be a black hole. Uh, but I think that, you know, what's helpful is also knowing what it isn't, so if for some reason you start Googling this injury and you kind of go down a rabbit hole of some in, some specific you know, neuroma or something like that, and you can identify it's not that, that'll help you better explain to your doctor or to whatever professional you're talking to, explain what you think it is. Because I think you really hit it on the head of that we know our bodies best. And so if you have a doctor that listens to you and you have a hunch of what's wrong with you, probably pretty likely that you're right over the doctor um and so I think it's really important to find somebody who is a doctor who's going to listen to you a doctor who is aligned with yes that you will run again or that you know is aligned with your goals and won't tell you just stop that practice and then to a doctor that will help listen to you about your exploration of your body I mean, the last thing I the one thing I can't stand is when you get to a doctor and you told them that you googled your injury and they roll their eyes at you you're like <laughs> I mean because I, I get it they come in and they're like oh you think you're the doctor but I mean that's I how how belittling is that I mean it's our bodies we get to we get to try to do research for it and try to figure out what it is so don't so don't make me feel bad about trying to understand what's going on with me. So um, so I think that it's a journey together and you guys have to, uh, going back to what I said before, is there's only one problem really in the world, it's communication. And if you can find a doctor of any sort of profession or even an acupuncturist, or even if it's not in, you know, Western medicine person, if you can, if you can have a rapport that helps you move toward your long-term goal or vision. Um, then might as well be open to thinking outside the box
0: and go from there. That's fantastic. I mean, I think all this is really, really interesting information and will provide a really useful perspective for anybody that gets an injury because there's so much that goes into it. You know, the, the doctors, like, we want to simplify it and say, well, it's this broken part. You do these things to fix that broken part, and that usually works. And that's what we call the standard of care. But it excludes. Probably 90% of the stuff you talked about, about really trying to evaluate it in terms of, you know, how the pain fits into the picture, about what you can do to modify your perception of the pain, about what you can do to see yourself as an, as an athlete who is actually improving and getting back to activity as opposed to someone who is in an injured state and unable to do things. And that stuff is not something that most doctors talk about. But, you know, you as an injured athlete, it's your responsibility to get quick, get better as quickly as possible. It's the doctor's responsibility to tell you what they think will help. But then it's up to you to really sort through that information and find out what really is right and useful for you. And it's different for everybody. It really is helpful to have your perspective. And, you know, I'm really grateful for you being willing to talk about it. I know it's not a fun thing to talk about.
1: Oh, I love it. If I can help anyone. That was the other thing I was gonna say is that your podcasts have been so helpful to me just to hear other people recovering and just to feel not alone. I mean, uh, talking about a community, the community doesn't have to necessarily be a person. It can be a community of podcasts, too, because I can't tell you how much I thank you. It's really helped me.
0: Well, I don't know if you know this, but you are actually the reason I started the Doc on the Run podcast. Really? Really. So we were... Oh my
1: gosh, uh, you're giving me goosebumps. (laughs) We were actually having a
0: conversation one day, sitting on your couch, and what happened was you had an x-ray. The uh, physical therapist or somebody told you that... It looked really bad and it actually wasn't that bad it was a it was a, it looked bad on the x-ray but it was a positive sign and you had said like it would be great if somebody would talk about that stuff so that people could figure out those differences because obviously when somebody wearing a white coat or a uniform tells you something is bad then you naturally assume it's bad yeah. in your case it wasn't bad but you had said it'd be great to if you if there was a way to talk about that and I actually thought well I've been thinking about doing a podcast so maybe I'll do that that was basically the whole reason that I started doing it and true to many of the other things uh, that happen, like when, you know, we get injured, people tell us not to do stuff. I had a number of different people tell me, you, what are you, are you crazy? You're going to do a podcast? Like, why are you going to waste your time doing that? Like, well, because it's helpful because, you know, we're supposed to, you know, help people understand their injuries and understand how to get better. And the more people understand about them, the more they Google them, the more they research them, the better the faster they get better, I believe. And so you actually, though, were the original inspiration for the entire thing. So for that, I'm really grateful.
1: Well, I have to say, you just made my day, my year, my life. Because (laughs) if I can honestly help one person out there, and I know that you helped me, so... In a funny way, I helped myself. There you go. <laughs> this is a completely, completely selfish <laughs> endeavor. But, um, but no, honestly, like I remember, your first one was the woman that. Um, had the heel shattered and how she, you know, was going to swim. And I was like, this is where I don't need to look crazy anymore. I was like, I'm done. I'm going to the gym. And that's what made me go to the gym. Because I'm like, if this woman can swim with casts on, I can sure as hell show up to the gym on crutches. That's right.
0: (laughs) That's right. So,
1: but I really hope that I can give somebody some sort of help in this because it is, it's tough and I'm not, and like I said, it's not, recovery is not linear. It's definitely an ups and downs and I, as much as I'm a positive person, trust me, I've had my horrible down days and really sad days and, you know, it's it's trying, it's conquering those and coming to the other side that's important and hearing stories of other people's recovery and, or journey even. Um, is just so helpful in that process.
0: Thanks so much for taking the time out of your schedule. Come on and share your whole experience uh, to really try to help other runners understand what they can do differently to recover faster.
1: And thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it.
0: It's been fun. If you have a question that you would like answered as a future edition of the Doc on the Run podcast, send it to me and then make sure you join me in the next edition of the Doc on the Run podcast. Thanks again for listening.